Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am a story career consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am very excited to have with me as my guests today, Jeffrey Davis and Peter Desberg, who are the authors of this phenomenal book called Show Me the Funny at the Writer's Table with Hollywood's Top Comedy Writers. And I have to say, I love this book. It is fantastic. So let me tell you a little bit about, I'm going to start with Peter. Peter is the author of 20 books, five of which are joke books, a licensed clinical psychologist who specializes in the area of stage fright. He has worked with many top stand-up comedians. Desberg has been a full professor at California State University, Dominguez Hills, for more than 30 years and has done extensive research on the psychology of humor. No stranger to media, for 10 years he hosted his own cable TV show on technology. Desperk has done many radio and television interviews and is frequently quoted in national publications including the Wall Street Journal, Reader's Digest, Psychology Today, and Cosmopolitan. Jeffrey Davis began his career writing jokes for Thick of the Night. Among his situation comedy credits are Love Boat, Give Me a Break, Different Strokes, and Night Court. Davis has also written for such shows as America's Funniest People and has had film projects developed by Bette Mittler's All Girl Production and Arnold Copelson. He has written documentaries for A&E, and his plays have been produced in New York and Los Angeles. Davis is an associate professor of film and TV writing at Loyola Marymount University. I love it. So I, first of all, I'm curious, what brought you two together to do this? Well, I'm going to have Peter tell that story because he tells it so well. <laughs> Peter, speak into the microphone. Our kids were in the same eighth grade class. Great. So one night, they're, they're having a play date at my house. His son was supposed to be coming out at a certain time, wasn't. Jeffrey's in the car fuming, saying, oh, no, I don't want to have to go into another parent's house, meet the parent. Hi, what do you do? Hi, what do you do? So he comes up reluctantly and does it. We start talking. Oh, we're both academics. And he said, you know, I'm a writer, but now they're expecting me to do academic writing. Have you done any? And I, of course, <laughs> laughed at that. Right. And then I told him about this project that I had started probably 20 years before. Right. Where this woman calls me up out of the blue and says, um, I want to do a, uh, a master's thesis on the psychology of humor. Somebody gave me your name. And I said, well, what are you going to do? Oh, I'm going to write a chapter on the psychology of humor, sociology of humor, anthropology of humor, and then I'm going to interview a famous Hollywood comedy writer. Interesting. Said, who's the writer? Right. She told me. 
It was the writer whose name is on the cornerstone of the Writers Guild building. Right. Um, and I said, how do you know this fellow? He said, oh, he's my dad. So Love that, it. So at that point, I said, well, why don't we forget the first three chapters? Can mm -hmm. your dad get some of his friends to, to do this also? And he said, sure, no problem. So I said, well, instead of interviewing them, let's get to actually have them do stuff while we're doing it, and we'll get to watch them work. So we did eight interviews, and I was having the time of my life, and they get a phone call. Oh, hi, this is Susie. I guess this is bad news. Um, in two weeks, I'm moving to Illinois. Can't finish. Click. Dagger. Oh. So we fast forward 20 years. I tell Jeffrey the story. Right. And, I, and he says, who are the writers that you interviewed? And each time that I'm telling him a name, his eyes are lighting up more and more. Right. And he said, those people play poker with my dad every weekend. I know every one of those people. Wow. And literally, we just met that evening. He jumped off the couch and said, let's do it. I love and that story. So it was a pretty good first meeting. That but is fantastic. Shortest version of it I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was very good. Very distinct. Okay, let's start with um, Peter. Uh, tell us about your background as a licensed clinical psychologist and how you use it to help artists with stage fright. Huh. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to condense this. And, of course, the first thing I tell them is buy one of my stage fright books. Great. And that immediately <laughs> What are what, Like, what's the title of well, one of your stage the, fright the books? The most recent one is Speaking Scared, Sounding Good. Great. Uh, you probably know that the number one fear in America is fear of public speaking. Mm -hmm. There was a, a great Jerry Seinfeld line. He said, the next time you're at a funeral, remember that most people would rather be in the coffin than delivering the eulogy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> And so, obviously, there's a whole lot of stuff. You have to tell me, you know, once you flip the switch, I'll go as long as you want. But, right. Uh, and it'll help people sleep if they're having trouble with, with tension at all. So it was the recognition that the dilemma out there is that most people fear this, and you had a background that catered toward this. I mean, I think it's brilliant to go into a certain specified area. There's a book called The Tools. Have you guys heard about that book? Mm -mm. One of the writers on it, uh, he's either a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and he deals with writer's block. Mm. And helping writers through writer's yeah. block. So it's interesting. Yeah, you guys, and they have like a whole series of seminars based on it. Do you go, Are you guys going to do seminars? Do you have seminars? We give lots of talks in different that's places. That's good. That's great. Good. Yeah. Good. All right. No, that's good. Now, uh, okay. So what? Have I, have I skipped your question? Like, do you actually want to know some of this stuff? Or <laughs> Well, yeah, I would love to know. Like, what, what made you go into the stage fright arena? And what are some of the techniques that... Okay, what what made me go into it is a really boring story. Right. Um, but some of the stuff we do is a little more interesting. Okay. And I can make this fairly quick. Okay. Three different ways that you work with people. Right. Emotionally. Right. Through their thoughts and through their actions. Right. Emotionally... Um, it's really hard to change people's emotions. The last time you were depressed and said, don't be depressed anymore, it didn't work. Right. Um, but we can teach people how to relax, how to use imagery, different ways to get their symptoms down so they can function. Right. Changing thoughts is a little bit easier, but still, you know, every time you try and switch from, say, being a Democrat to a Republican, you say, well, it's not that easy. 
So ultimately, you end up getting them to do things as little experiments to prove to yourself, oh, this works, I can use it, it can help me. Yeah. That's as short as we can make it. And the other part is most of this, Jeffrey and I have some demonstrations we do with people where we deal with Mm self-monitoring, which is the basic cause of most people's stage fright. And what ends up happening, we hate to explode the myth that there's no such thing as multitasking. We're not wired to do it. Right. And so what happens is if you start saying to yourself, "Uh uh-oh, somebody's looking at uh, her watch. Oh, he's looking out the window. Um, Gee, they seem really listless. Uh, My hands are shaking. I think they can see that my hands are shaking. Oh, my God, this is a meltdown. You can also be focused on what you're supposed to be saying or doing or performing. So... One of the things that we spend a lot of time doing is getting people to learn how to focus their their attention on what they need to do and learn how to stop the distraction of self-monitoring. Great. Great. I love that. All right. Look, at people already got some, some gold nuggets there. <laughs> I think that's great. What would you say has been the most challenging situation you faced with a writer on stage fright? I think it's people having to deal with their own expectations, that people sit down with the idea of, I think I may have some skill at writing. Mm-hmm. They sit down, they write something and say, it's no good. Right. And those of us who write have learned, oh, it may take a couple of edits before it starts looking good. Mm-hmm. And the expectation of saying, gee, I thought I was good, look, I'm not, is right. the hardest thing to get people mm-hmm. to get to past move it. Past. Yeah. yeah. And, so it's your Jeffrey own. has a quote he yeah. likes a lot about Hemingway saying, when Hemingway said, write drunk, edit sober. I love it. That's, <laughs> That's great. True, yeah. That's like, it reminds me of that book, too, that uh, when you think about it, getting out of your own way. Right. Mm-hmm. The idea. Right. Yeah. Of right. what we do. Right. All right, Jeffrey. So what's. Oh, I got. OK. Yeah. You get a turn. <laughs> All right. Do you want to talk I, toward I, this? Yeah. I only know yeah, how to get ver- stage fright. Okay. So I can't help you with Get his game. version of how we met. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, now, Jeffrey, because you're you write and you go into comedy and all this, mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. have have has Peter used techniques on you to move you through? Not Pro- that he's aware of. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Um, yeah, actually, it's really interesting. I was the person 15 years ago who uh, had terrible stomach symptoms before I went into a room to pitch. Right. And uh, I, I had at the time another – I have a wonderful partner now. I had a, a equally wonderful partner back then who had come out of Kentucky Fried Theater before they made the you know, airplane and all that. So right. she was a performer and so that helped. So she right. could do the performing and I could do what they called filling in. But teaching and working with Peter has kind of diminished the stage fright. I've learned a few times. Te- there is one technique that I really like and that is when you're speaking in front of a crowd go around and introduce yourself to yes. people before you start speaking to them because then you know them. I the totally distance, use yeah. that one. I, yeah. uh, Peter taught me that. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't do it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Every time we go into Staples Center. You know, yeah. Every, <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'll never work at the Staples Center. <laughs> I love it. No, that is great. Now, um, let's see. With your background in situational comedy, Jeffrey, mm-hmm. what steered you in this direction? Um, to sitcom? Into sitcom, yeah. My dad, really. Okay. Uh, Tell I, us about your dad. Kind of interesting. I, well, I, I back up a little bit to say that I never planned to do anything but write the great American novel. I was, 
I was in grad school at the Writers' Workshop in Iowa and um, probably too young. And I came out and uh, I got blocked on the novel. And um, I was out here and um, I started, I got an offer from somebody to write an Aaron Spelling show, actually. Yeah, to write a back To write a backup script for something called Hotel Paradise oh, wow. that never got I, on the air. Yeah. But I got my first credit. Right. And um, everybody said, boy, you should never write drama again. <laughs> and um, and then uh, then I got um, I got a job um, doing jokes for Robin Thicke's dad, right? Um, with my partner, uh, and it just sort of went from there. And it, Julie and I were together about twelve years, and then I kind of just sort of I I said your writing partner, yeah, my yeah. writing partner yeah. and I for about twelve years, and right. then she decided wisely to quit writing, right? And um, but yeah, I I got into sitcom because my dad was a sitcom writer. He he wrote for things like Mikhail's Navy and going back, you know, and he wrote uh, Martin and Lewis movies. And Great. and then later he produced The Odd Couple and Bewitched and That Girl. So I was around it my whole, wow. my whole life. So, so you grew I'm a second, up with and, it. Yeah, and my stepfather was a was a TV movie producer, a guy named Roger Gimbel. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, Great. so I sort of had it. Was in, in your the, blood. Yes, and my uncle was a composer, so. Great. Yeah, Great. So, yeah. Now, uh, of all the shows that you have written on, what was your favorite and why? My favorite was Night Court because right. I got to work with the great Reinhold Wiggy, who we just lost this last year. Oh. Reiny was a, um, a mensch, mm-hmm. and he here was a guy who was the showrunner but still made time for all the people who were working on the show. And, you know, the people who would come in and, and do a script, uh, he didn't treat them like they were, you know, outsiders. Mm-hmm. It was great. And But, you know, all of the experiences were fun. I never liked doing it alone. Uh, after Julie and I parted company in a business way, Yeah. Um, I went on for a couple of years. But I was never happy. I think um, I really love collaboration mm-hmm. and... Um, if I want to write alone, I'll write a play, right? Or, you know, or yeah. a film. Yeah. Um, the great thing about collaboration, that that sort of, I, you didn't ask me this, but I'll, I'll just say okay. my feelings about collaboration Absolutely. is having had a lot of partners. I think the great thing for me about this partnership is we have complementary skills. Right. Peter is obscenely intelligent. Right. Um, and very organized and um, has a big vocabulary. Um, I'm a little scatterbrained and, um, I don't know. I don't even know if I have a skill, but I have something you don't. I don't You're know. You're like what, the classic odd couple that you <laughs> yes, mentioned in the but book. <laughs> the truth is, is I would, anybody who's listening out there and thinking about forming a partnership. Right. My advice is don't get into a partnership with someone who has your exact skill set. I agree. What's the point? Yeah. You might as well be writing alone and getting... It's all about strengths and weaknesses and the idea of what you don't have, get that in somebody else. Right. I I think if you're really good at structure, you want to find somebody who's really good at character and that kind of thing. Yeah. I have helped put together writing partnerships based on those things, so... I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's great. Now, out of all the shows that you worked on, what would you say is the most difficult 
and why? Say from a writing standpoint um, or a humor standpoint. I had a lot of trouble with uh, with um, some of the sitcoms. I shouldn't mention any names, but okay. Right. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we had a little trouble with different strokes. Because, yeah. Not because of the actors. We never got that far. Because of the staff. Because it was very different then. Mm-hmm. Um, there were assignments. And when I started, you know, they were still giving out a lot of assignments. Now it's pretty much staff driven. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, everything's around the table. They, I think the Writers Guild rule is they have to give out one freelance assignment a year. Uh, you would go in, in, in the days when I was starting, you would go, you would view the pilot, then you would pitch episodes. Um, they were just difficult people. Not, they didn't like anything that you pitched. Right. And, uh, um, but, the, but, you know, you can't argue with the success of that show. It was yeah, a, it's true. It was a great show for its time, and yeah. people don't realize that it was – a groundbreaking show, uh, 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 an African-American kid to, uh, with, a, with a white father. And, right. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I watched it. I yeah, loved it. I, I yeah. loved You're it. not old enough, but I, I, I don't believe you. I love she you for reruns. saying that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, when it was in syndication. Uh, I love it. one that's really frightening for me is I'm old enough to just remember I Love Lucy I think in the first reruns, not yes. not in the original. Yes, see, isn't that the truth? <laughs> and now everything's on Netflix. What I know, <laughs> I know. I love Netflix. Okay. All right, now going. I, I do. I yeah, love. It's... I love Hulu. Plus. Have it for I me. I love everything that I can get my hands on. Yeah. Anything I want to watch. It's changed oh, yeah. the yes. way people. Are. It has. My students are binge watching. Yeah, binge. Yeah. Wa- I love yeah. binge watching. Yeah, it's great. I just watched uh, Masters of Sex. I just binge watched a bunch of episodes of that. Yeah, and I'm my, addicted. To that's what my wife did with uh, yeah. Orange is the New Black. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I she just and House went... of Cards. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it, it is. It's a wonderful way to view, and I'm excited. All right, so going into the book, like, I loved your approach about the idea of presenting the situation with Sarah and Molly. Why don't you give us how you did that, how you came up with that, and oh. what that inspired in your interviews. Because okay. I thought that was brilliant. I you can know, start. Oh, you can just, you can start if you like. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, uh, you want to talk first? Please, go ahead. Okay. No, I was just going to say. The reason that um, I got involved in the book, what Peter didn't say, it, it may be true, it may not be true, that uh, that I jumped off the couch. but right. But... I Straight up. was pretty much determined that I was not going to write another one of those books that was, this is how you write a script. I think we have plenty of those books, some really good ones. Yeah. Going back to Sid's, you know, yes. Sid just, we just lost Sid I too. Know, we did. Um, I, know. I I think that Sid feels for those of you out there who don't know. Yeah. Um, uh, an icon and a master Icon, boy. right. And I, I, but I think what we came up with in giving everybody the same premise and allowing them to essentially, it was like a Rorschach test. Yeah. Um, you see their techniques and their devices and the way they come at story and character and conflict without actually anyone saying, this is how I come about character. And it, was, it was just great. It was, uh, it was fun. Your turn. Yeah, go um, in and what, to sit. Well, what we also <laughs> yeah. thought about was when you ask somebody to describe their process, you have mm-hmm. no idea what you're getting. Right. Are they romanticizing? Are they telling you the way they thought they might have done it, hoped that they did it? Right. Well, we have an old joke of the highest form of fiction is the autobiography. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. So I love asking it. Asking people to. So we said, okay, let's just actually watch them do it. Yeah. So we're, we're sitting there in the middle of the process. And what was really cool for us is not only did they develop the story in real time, but in a lot of cases they narrated. That's so great. they were telling us, well, here's the problem I've got to solve. I mean, if we take an example, um, the Walt Bennett interview. Yeah. Um, I guess it would help if we told a, a little bit about what the premise is so people yes. could follow. Jeffrey's wonderful at doing that. Oh, I am? Yes. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Well, what we came up with was a kind of uh, my sister Eileen sort of premise. Those of you who are young, go watch that movie. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm tired of telling young people <laughs> about the history of their industry. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's about a, a mother and daughter, grown daughter, who's, who's hu- and the mother's father. I'm, I'm sorry. The mother. mother's uh, husband dies, and they lose all the money. She thought they had money. He spent it all. She's broke. She moves in with her daughter, and they have all the same kinds of problems or not, depending upon what the writer comes up with. So what was great was when Walt was doing his, he's saying, okay, now, I've got to keep thinking of the worst situation I can put them in. So for openers, if somebody was going to come live with me and they were going to come visit, the first thing they would do is tell me what flight they were coming in on what day, so I'm going to have the mother come in unannounced. Right. So now, let me see, what would be the worst time to come in unannounced? So they're obviously... um, I she love and her it. boyfriend there, disrobed <laughs> in the bedroom. And and he says, now how can I make it even worse than that? Well, she lives in New York in a tiny one-bedroom. Um, so she's thinking mom's going to come with her two suitcases. And mom pulls up with the moving van. And her cousin has got the couch right behind her. She's knocking on the door. trying. And each time, so he's saying, here's the next problem I've got to solve. Here's yeah. what i got to do it. That was very clever. I love that. But a lot of the writers kept, you know, literally vocalizing yeah. what they what they were trying to do, how they were trying to do it, what yeah. their rationale was. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I lo- no, yeah. it was such a clever thing to do because I thought I thought it was fascinating to see how some of the interviews, the idea of Molly and Sarah, they are the characters. Mm. Um, oh, I should have said that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the idea of Molly and character, <laughs> Molly and Sarah dominated the interview. In other interviews, I felt like it was a smaller part. So it was very fascinating mm-hmm. to see who, like, wrapped their brain around it and really, like, went with it. Um, what was also interesting yeah. was, now, I met this woman recently who just wrote a book um, about using what you know in your life and then fictionalizing it. Yes. In case the yeah. audience can't tell, I'm pointing at Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Storyline, finding gold in your life story. <laughs> Published by? <laughs> Michael Weezy Productions. Oh, Michael. <laughs> and so what was really interesting uh, was, again, here's this situation that's set up. And a number of people said, you know, we told them right away, this is the basic place we're starting off. But you can change anything you want. So a number of people said, well, you know, I'm a guy. I'm writing about a woman in her yeah, I'd rather write about a father and son. Right. So all of a sudden they took it. They took their lives. And, right. Mm-hmm. And I remember Phil Rosenthal saying, I don't know enough about women to be able to tell what they would do and how they would live together. So I'm going to write, you know. Yeah. So yeah. again, we had a lot of that where they were just saying, I'm going to take what I know, what yes. I feel. Right. And I'm yeah. One away. of my favorites uh, is is um, David Breckman's where he yes. 
I love he makes the, the mother into a sociopath. I mean, they really yeah. did feel like they could. Uh, and, and then Lou uh, Schneider's, yeah. where he really focused on the grandparents. Nobody else did that. Yeah. So it really and, – and what my students, who I give them copies of the book. I, uh, to other people, I'll stand outside and sell them like <laughs> lemonade. You know? But uh, uh, what they tell me, the feedback I get from the students is that they like the fact that they're seeing – the way the writer thinks and the way the writer attack a story and they can use the devices that the writer's using. Yeah. You know, like yeah. how they shade a character, how they go when we ask them to make it a darker story, the way Bob Myers does where he just makes her a drug addict. And, right. You know, um, well, and, and I think the idea of actually walking through the creative process yeah. with each person in the same scenario and have it go a totally different direction, right. I thought was so clever. It was really, really well, well done. Well, we think it really blows out the myth that there's one way to write. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. And what, it does. Was, what was interesting was we had several teams of writers. Right. So they were fascinating because we just got to watch to their interaction. But yeah. we tried to, to tell each one of the writers that we wanted to have as much of the feel of the spontaneity of a room as we could. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of cases, we would interact with them yeah. and sometimes ask them questions the way somebody else would if they were stopped at a point. So it really was, it was a very free, very loose environment. Yeah, I love that. So interesting that every single one of the writers, when one of us would talk to them on the phone and say, I don't know if I'll be able to do this. And every single one of them did it without exception brilliantly. I, I don't I, think I there's a single clunker in the book. I agree. Now, Jeffrey and I were talking at the beginning, and we both had a common fear. There's a, a classic I Love Lucy episode mm -hmm. where Lucy and Ethel are fighting, and so they're not, they're not in contact, and they're both invited to a soiree, and they both wear the same evening gown. Yes, I remember it. <laughs> I and we yeah. said, what yeah. happens if we get 25 versions of the same story? Oh, my God. Yeah. And we were just blown away by the uh, fact that they, the places they took it. I love that. I think that's great. And actually, some of them could have jumped off and started right. and written a story from it. And, right. Several yeah. people said they wrote yeah. stuff after. You know, right. we told them at the beginning, whatever you come up with is yours. Is Feel yours. free to take it out and pitch yeah. it. And several people came up with stuff and pitched it. I love it. That's great. The idea of just giving people a situation and saying, run with oh, yeah. I think that's great. Well, one of the things that uh, um, one of the writers told us is that this Hank Nelton was that this is the kind of thing executives hear. This is what executives listen to all yeah. day long. And in fact, a couple of the writers were complaining about the fact that, you know, they're now expected to go to a different kind of cattle call where – for example, the studio has the rights to Barbie or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And all they'll come in with is, okay, tell us what you do. And there's nothing but, okay, we've got Barbie and Ken. Right. And there's apparently, I, I've heard, which is kind of cool, a friend of mine who's on the board at the Guild is they're talking about actually these writers getting paid. Because you come in, you do all this work. You know, and it is a kind of a cattle call, and you're expected to pre prepare for two weeks and then nothing. Right. You know? Yeah. You should no, be paid. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Totally well, you agree. know, let, let's finish the Hank story. What was interesting was Hank was saying, I can't wait to read the book because every time I go to one of those calls, I'm sitting there with five or six writers. They each go in and tell their version of the story, and I never get to hear what they come up with. Yeah. 
And he says, for the first time now, I get to see what they, the other guys would have done with yeah. what I did. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting. See? Very clever. Very clever. Out of your interviews, what were some memorable responses on the following topics? So we'll start with what is it to work in the writer's room? Oh, we had lots of interesting reactions. Um, one of the interesting things was we talked to, uh, to Peter Casey, who co-created Wings and Frasier. Uh-huh. And he was telling us the first room he worked in, I think, was the Jeffersons. Mm -hmm. And he said, I walked in there late one morning, and I was starving, so I brought a little box of cereal with me. So I poured the cereal in a bowl, went to the, where the coffee was and poured the milk in, and the showrunner came running up to me and says, that's just for coffee. You're going to have to pay for that. <laughs> <laughs> and oh then he God. said, and I went from that to working on Cheers with the Charles Brothers, where if they made us work late, they either took us to one of the best restaurants in town oh, or they had menus from some of the best restaurants ordered and brought it in for us. So the difference in terms of the way people treated writers yeah, was amazing. definitely. And well, Phil Rosenthal um, had a team together for, uh, for his show that uh, he said eight years, nobody left. The one person left and then came back. Right. Yeah. Which is unheard of. When Peter Casey was describing it, he said it's like a baseball team where, you know, you get good, somebody else grabs you, and then you he says, mm-mm, not there. Mm. That, uh, he says they were like a family. They, they all loved each other. They worked together really well. Wow. Well, that was a blessed existence. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, yeah. now I feel like it's hit or miss whether you land oh. a healthy writer's room or a totally uh, dysfunctional one. I think they're mostly dysfunctional, yeah. Yeah. Uh, as but, any family is, right? Yeah. To throw in a quick stage fright story, yeah. um, Lou Schneider told us a story that one time he's sitting next to a, a writer in the room. Um, I don't know if it was Raymond or not, but I don't know, it wasn't Raymond. It was a different room. And the guy next to him grabs him by the shirt and pulls him down to the ground like they both dropped something. He says, here's a joke, pitch it for me. He <laughs> says, you want me to pitch your joke for you? He says, you're a stand-up also. I'm not that good at telling jokes. I want my joke to get heard. That's and so great. he actually... And there was <laughs> oh, so, I love that But it's, it's, it's a great story, but it also shows the tension in some of those rooms right? and how you're literally afraid that you may not get... Walt Bennett told us a story that as a fledgling writer, he pitched a joke, right. oil painting. Nobody right. laughs. 20 minutes later, one of the experienced guys in the room pitches the same joke. Yeah. Everybody breaks up. Yeah. And then Walt yells out, hey, I just pitched that joke. And I said, come on, Walt, don't be like that. Yeah. I have <laughs> millions. Yeah, of I bet you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it could yeah. be really ugly. Yeah. 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 And it was interesting when, when uh, we talked to David Breckman about what it was write, uh, like to write for SNL. Right. He said, oh, what a tough environment. Yeah. Because he said... Okay, it's once a week, 90 minutes, great, but you have a whole bunch of really talented actors who come in with their own characters, right? and they get to do stuff every week or two on those, Yeah. and then you've got the news segment, Yeah. and then you've got the beginning and ending, so he says, you have time for maybe two or three totally original pieces each week with a team of like 10 or 12 writers yeah. in the room competing yeah. for those two or three little yeah, spots. Yeah, that's he true. He said, it's tough. Tough. Yeah. What about you, Jeffrey? Uh, well, my very limited experiences in the room is that, like Michael Elias, uh, who said that by the last year of his show, uh, head of the class, he made his partner, Rich Eustace, go in the room. He didn't like it. I wasn't crazy about the room. Um, 
I I mean, it's fun now. Right. Doing it this way. Right. Um, I, it, I, it was the two rooms I, I was in were very extremely dysfunctional. Yeah. And there was a lot of uh, higher, you know, the hierarchy was really clear and you had to please whoever it was. And it was three jokes a page, even if the jokes had nothing to do with the show, which I think is gone now, happily. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so the room, no, the room. So you know, I mean, I did not have great room experiences, and I think they are. I think I think that something like Phil Rosenthal, I think that's a rare, right, thing. And 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 what's interesting though in the development of TV is that dramas have now adopted the model of sitcoms, which oh, yeah. is that there are writers' rooms on dramas, which yeah. is only in, in recent years yeah. has that really been going on, and it's so we'll. It's interesting to see how that it is. plays out. Yeah, you know? well, it seems like there's so much. Right now, I mean, when I see how clever, like, Masters of Sex is a drama, mm-hmm. but the humor in it yeah. is mind-blowing. Yeah. Like, I sit there and I think, oh, my God, never have I laughed out loud so many times right in the middle of total right. drama. Well, everything flight, is tabled. You know, it yeah. was like, oh, my gosh, so fantastic. I think everything is being tabled now. Yeah. I don't think there's anything that, that isn't. Comedy is drawing from drama. Yeah. And drama is drawing Absolutely. from comedy. Yeah, yeah. It's very true. And you have writers who go – I know that in – it's interesting because in my dad's day, you could be writing a – McHale's Navy one week and a Ben Casey the next. Yeah. And then there was this long period of time where you were basically a comedy writer or a dramatic writer. And now you, there's um, someone I know who was on a lot of sitcoms and then went on to uh, the Kira Sedgwick show. Right. Closer. Right. You know, and was right. on that. As oh, an yeah. Ex- yeah. That team? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I who uh, who was a, a, a sitcom writer. Yeah. Matt I and people forget that uh, Matt Matt Weiner, yeah. the great creator Mad yes. Men, was on the Golden Girls. People yeah. have totally forgotten that. That yeah. was his big break. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I love that. So writing is writing. That's the way I feel about it. Well, you know? and on that with the interviews that you had, what about um, did you going into the idea of comedy writing and the joke versus the emotion? Oh, well, um, I, I was really fortunate to uh, – I had some amazing teachers, one of whom was uh, uh, Neil Simon's brother, Danny, mm-hmm. who uh, Woody Allen credits with teaching him everything he knows about comedy. And Danny always said um, that jokes were expendable mm-hmm. and that characters were what mattered and that you should never set up a punchline to – uh, what is it? Accommodate – a you know, straight line to accommodate a punchline. Right. and. And uh, uh, that, that is a great lesson for all writers is that the character is the most important thing. Character and conflict and structure will flow out of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, we've all been to movies and seen television shows where the structure is beautiful and it's empty. Yeah. Because there's no characters, there's no conflict. And it was interesting because we asked every single writer in the book, which comes first, story or character? And they all said conflict. Yeah. Which is maybe only true for comedy, but I don't know. It's you know, it's like if there's no conflict, chances are there's no story. Well, I think I I'm along that line. I mean, I think definitely in the structure that I teach, it's like all story. The jumping off point mm-hmm. is when a trigger incident happens that pushes the central character into a dilemma. Right. And so it's like the idea of everything 
has to start with conflict right. and, and a choice. Right. We'll give and her Charlie Peters' quote. You'll give yeah. it to her. All right. Tell me what to do. What? <laughs> <laughs> I was begging. I, I have to go home to my wife. That's her job. <laughs> he, had a great, he had a great quote. He's saying, the hero of every screenplay wants it to end on page two. Right. <laughs> I love it. If they yep. could get the guns of yep. Navarone on page two, yep. they would. Yep. I love it. That's great. <laughs> now, what about as far as thinking about everyone you interviewed as far as secret comedy tools? Would you say there was any big revelations? Well, I mean, in any field, you yeah. have stuff that you know, yeah. part of the, the craft. Yeah. And they revealed quite a, a few of those in the interviews. Um, the one that, uh, that Jeffrey likes a lot is the turnaround joke, for example. Right, right. Uh, Elliot Shulman was telling us a great story. So he was working on Maud, and right across the hall was All in the Family. Mm-hmm. Said Maud, the comedy was, was kind of intellectual. It wasn't very broad. Mm-hmm. So they had to think of really clever, funny stuff every night. So right. it says, we're there from like 9 or 10 o'clock every night. Says at five o'clock, the all in the family. They went home every night at five. Right. And he says because they had characters that you could just. Um, he gave us an example. He said, uh, um, "You've got Archie with malaprops." Right. So he could say, um, "I got to go to the doctor. You know, tomorrow. I think I got a hernia. I got to see a groinecologist." And <laughs> everybody goes home. They got the joke. Yeah. Where with Maude, it was much more difficult. Yeah. And with the turnaround joke. Give them the, the Christmas example. Oh, well, you know, up. Christmas story, which everybody loves, you know, when the dog eats the turkey. And I'm not going to the Chinese restaurant and the next on scene Christmas you're Eve. in the in Christmas Eve. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, then you're in the Chinese restaurant. Or, you know, uh, yeah. no way am I going to your mother's house. You right. know, you're at. And, they're, yeah. they're, and what we found out is, is that, you know, you could always correlate that to writers being hungry yeah. because when they were hungry and they wanted to go home and there was no good catering on the show, they yeah. would do a turnaround joke. And so when you see one now, you'll know that the writers yeah. were hungry. Right? No, I, always, to go home. <laughs> I love when we see those type of transitions, mm-hmm. when you the worst thing possible and then they're there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. One, one of the interesting things was, you know, they all stressed uh, conflict. Um, we interviewed Leonard Stern. Right. And he's he said a great thing where he said, of course, all my, my comedy comes out of conflict, but it doesn't have to be hostile conflict. So all my conflicts come out of love. Yeah. And he says, what I do is I have two characters that really care a lot about each other, and they have the best of intentions, which clash horribly. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where all the humor comes yeah, from. Yeah, I like and, that. And it's funny. I remember a comedy writer once saying to me, you know, we all have tricks. Yeah. If I, uh, if I need a, a quick laugh and I can't think of anything, I have the phone ring. And the worse the situation is that it interrupts, the, the bigger the laugh is going to get. Yeah. And if you think about it, when you hear the phone ring in a sitcom and you need the big laugh, who's the worst person that could be calling at that time? It's your mother. Yeah. Why is it your mother? Because she knows the way you should be living your life. And, you know, do you still want to be a writer? You could still go to pharmacy school. Yeah. And so it's always going to get that cheap laugh. because. Yeah. It's just one of the things you count on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they I have like lots that. of lots of tricks like that. No, I to, like that. To always get something to work. So everyone should read this book because all the tricks are They in reveal there. themselves yeah. totally. I love that. One, one of the interesting things was we... Uh, here's a, a sad story, a, a Sophie's mm-hmm. Choice story. That mm-hmm. When we finished the book, 
Uh, our contract says 25 stories, uh, 25 interviews. So we worked like crazy to get them all done, and they said, oh, you got to cut three. <gasps> Choose. Wow. Wow. And the good news is if they buy the Nook version, right. they get all 25. Oh, that's great. But somebody who is bereft of the other three, like yourself, right. had you gone to our website, right. we would have revealed the fact that if you know the secret password, right. which is revealed on the website if you have the book to open it, right. we have the other three on the Internet so that's you can great. read those. I love And that. one of the people who unfortunately... We, we had to cut, and it was one of my favorite interviews, was, was Dan O'Shannon. Oh, my God, I've and interviewed Dan O'Shannon. Yeah. I love Dan O'Shannon. Is he still on Modern Family? Oh, he's I, the oh, executive yeah. producer. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. Oh, okay, he's like good. one Emmy after yeah, Emmy. It's, yeah. Yeah. it's not fair to call him smart. I don't like to yeah. use the G word, but he's a genius guy. He is a right. genius. And right. all the way through his interview, he's apologizing to us. Right. Saying, I know you expect me to be funny, and all I'm doing in, is setting up the conflicts. Right. So I see where all the payoffs are. You may not see them, but right. they're all in there. Yeah. And then at one point, Jeffrey says, well, show us one. And within two seconds, we're on the floor laughing. Oh, that's right. He just saw it all, but he just, give me the conflicts, and everything else will just come right Yeah. Out. One of my former students is going on to that show yeah. now. You probably want to edit that out. Dan actually just uh, wrote a book on comedy as yes, well. We, yes, yeah, we have it. Have very yeah. good. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. He's a very smart and very yes. nice guy. Very I agree. Yeah. I agree. Oh, I love that. All right, so now going into, well, I, there were three interviews that I'm going to point out quotes that, that really resonated with me uh, as a teacher and, and just as a, a love of finding truth from people. If you guys can maybe expand on these interviews, it would be great. The first was with Yvette Bowser. Her partial list of credits include Living Single, Created, A Different World, Half and Half, she was a showrunner, and mm. Hanging with Mr. Cooper, she was a showrunner. And the quote is, if you have multidimensional characters, then the situations will come because you always know what they will do in whatever scenarios you give them. Well, that's what we were talking about yeah. before with character and conflict. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, she, She's great. She says, I have a stack of index cards. Mm -hmm. And I basically fill out each characteristic. Right. And as I'm doing it, I learn about who that character is. Great. And then whatever we throw them. And then we said, well... Do one. Show us. Yeah. And she's like, right now? Here? <laughs> Which I thought I yeah. was saying, you mean without being paid? Right. Right. <laughs> right. But, but she did. Right. And right. right. She um, was great. It's not an accident that she's a Stanford graduate. Yes. <laughs> she's a very, very smart lady. Very And, smart. and immediately started doing it. And you could see it was so interesting that um, when she'd say something like, I think she's more interested in her career than man. And politically, and then she got this little wry smile on her face. I think she's a little conservative. Right. And so you could see she was enjoying fleshing out this character. Yeah. To to get these traits, and you could start seeing. Okay, so we're we're painting sort of this right wing, slightly um, upwardly mobile corporate girl. Right. So I could really set her up to oppose her old hippie style mom who was coming to live with her. Right. So she was setting up all these conflicts by having dimensions that clashed. So, so she was illustrating exactly. what she was saying. Exactly. That is, no, that's fantastic. Now with Dan Breckman, who his part. Oh, David. Oh. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. 
Oh, it's David Brecht. Yeah, it's Dan oh, O'Shannon. All those D words, all those oh, D names my. sound alike. <laughs> yes, thank you. As in case okay. you're listening to this, thank David. Thank you. In case you're listening to this, David, David Breckman, partial list of credits include Monk, Saturday Night Live, Pick Six, Underfunded, and pull o- Pulled Over. So his quote was, sitcoms are primarily about the characters, and then each individual episode can be tightly written and very premise-driven, but the premise of the show itself is typically very loose. Seinfeld is a bunch of neurotic New Yorkers Mm. hanging out and having adventures. I don't agree that that show was about nothing, because particularly in later years... It was the most plot-driven show of all time. That is true. Yeah, and I love that. He said often there were three plots going simultaneously, and they right. could dovetail to the end. Well, uh, yeah. I think I think that uh, since David gave that interview, I think that he might even disagree with himself. I I think that situation comedy is not network situation comedy. Right. Is not evolving. Right. Uh, in fact. Three, four years ago, we had some really amazing sitcoms. Modern Family started. We had 30 Rock. Right. Um, Big Bang. Big Bang is still on. But Big Bang, to me, is kind of old. Modern Family. Right. But But it's Modern Family kind of broke a mold, whereas Big Bang is kind of old-fashioned. But but right now, the new sitcoms are – it's almost like – we're, we've got to get some new people in there writing them because they're yeah, a little bit dull. Yeah, it's interesting. And you know what I love, I have mm-hmm. to say? Like, I'm, trust me, I say the mm-hmm. same thing. The hardest thing with me teaching writers is giving strong examples of right. recent comedy pilots. Mm-hmm. It's just so hard yeah. to go, this is what did it and really worked other than right. going back right. to Modern Family. But, and, right, but then yeah. they try uh, the new normal, which, you know is really modern family but yeah. didn't work at all. Right. I think we're I think episodes we're, is yeah, really good. Episodes is great. But yeah. that's a cable show. Yeah. So you can do things on HBO, Showtime, yeah. even on basic cable yeah. that you can't do. Like Nurse Jackie. You can't yeah. t- and I know that they've uh they're not doing anymore. Uh she wanted to stop but but that's both the comedy. Yeah. Uh, this and Shameless new, is Shameless is yeah. wonderful. Yeah, and is. there's a new one that's based on a British show called Getting Out or Getting On. Oh, it's yeah. about, it was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but you can do things on cable yeah. that you can't do on the I networks. Yeah. But the networks are changing too because if you notice that there there'll be a serial element. Yeah. In network shows now, although not in sitcoms. Pretty much they're standalone. I, I don't watch Big Bang like I did a couple of years ago. Right. But uh, I don't think there's much of a serial element in it. Except right. for the character, you know, because they don't change. Right. Um, the New Girl, I think. New is Girl the, is yeah. great. Yeah, I love great. New Girl. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. owes a great debt to uh, Neil Simon and right. the Odd Couple. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it all comes back to that. And I guess my it? I guess my two dads doesn't look like such a horrible show. Right, no. right. <laughs> See? I love it. I love it. All right. And then Peter Casey gave a great quote. Peter Casey is of Frasier, Wings, Cheers, the Jeffersons, Encore, Encore to list a few. Um, Peter compares the Molly and Sarah exercise as a classic odd couple situation. He likens this to wings. And the reason I wanted to give this quote, because I love how he 
pitched wings. I, I want writers to really listen to this because it really helps you understand how to grasp the core concept of your show. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, we had this sort of button-down brother who owned the business, Tim Daly, and then the completely wild-haired other brother, and they had a long history of animosity in dealing with each other, but as their father's dying wish, he wanted them to work together, and that's how that came about. Love that. Like, mm-hmm. that gives you so much information mm-hmm. and such a brief description of a show. I thought that was great. Well, again, it laid down a long road of conflicts. Yeah. And then he, he, he used that to go into the Molly Sarah situation, the mother-daughter scenario. Mm-hmm. If I can throw yeah. in a great Peter Casey story. Yeah. Um, I asked him about Frazier and the uh, his dad's chair. Right. And his face lit up, and he said... That chair was treated like a character on the show. I love it. He said, in the setup, here was a spin-off character from Cheers. Right. And he was coming to Seattle to remake himself. Yeah. And start a new life. He was going to be a minor celebrity on the radio, a thriving practice. He got the best decorator to get the best uh, apartment, and everything was perfect. And then Dad comes to live with him, and the chair was a metaphor for you're never going to have the life you wanted. I love it. And he said... We had decorators come in and bring in swatch books of the ugliest patterns they could find. Then when they found the ugliest pattern, they found other swatch books of variations of colors of that pattern to find the worst clashes. And then, of course, they ripped it up and put uh, duct tape all over it. And it was there every week to remind people, no matter how much you plan... We're yes. gonna stick our thumb in it. Yeah, I love it. that. So you literally had I a piece of. I remember reading that. Yeah, you I love literally that. had a piece of furniture providing the conflict. Yeah, isn't brilliant. that fascinating? That's brilliant. That is brilliant. Okay, yes. Listen to that again. A piece of furniture <laughs> causing the conflict. Love that. That's fantastic. Uh, okay, so. I know I've covered a lot. I know we've covered a lot. Mm-hmm. Thank you for all the information. Is there anything that you feel, oh, writers would love this, that we didn't hit with regards to the interviews and, and information oh, that came so out? so much. So that, much. All right, yeah. everybody, you got to get this book. That's essentially <laughs> what it comes down to. What has the response to yeah, the book been the, so far? The nice thing has been that more and more university writing classes have been getting their students right. to read it. Excellent. And, and again, it's what the students have been saying back to us is yeah. I'm following all these different writers and watching how they get ideas yeah, and how they organize their ideas once they get them. That's what's really been cool. I mean, when you yeah. unmask the mystery of how the idea process right. works, that's right. how you create writers. And, and exactly. And I, I, I did perform an experiment in class this semester. I had... Uh, I had a really interesting experience this semester. I was teaching our basic writing course at Loyola for undergrads, which is uh, elements of writing. And the assignment is really a – the final assignment is a 10-minute uh, short but with the structure of a full-length script. Oh, great. And what I asked them to do was to break into groups during the semester and each group study three interviews from the book right and then to use one of the interviews yeah you know the devices in the interviews yeah. 
to help in developing their own stories. Oh, I think that's and fantastic. And what was fascinating to me is I had, cause, because students from all over the university can take that entry-level class, mm-hmm. I had only three students from the film school in the class, and the rest of the students were English, philosophy, you name it, political science. And they there were some great writers in there. Yeah. Some, you know, some budding writers who, and, and even if you're not going to write, it teaches you how to think. Yeah. I think I think uh, one of the things about the book is it is it it breaks down that what you were just saying about the myth. Yeah. And it, you know it's the other thing that I think that they all talk about is that and I was reminded of it again because um, uh, a writer I greatly admire who admire who's one of the godfathers of our program Bob Orsi the great Bob Orsi said that not only must you think rewriting is your friend? You must embrace it as your best friend. Yeah. And and the, every single writer in this book says that. I think um, that's, that's and there's, an excellent piece of advice. Right. Right. Yeah. Just you know, don't. Peter was saying it earlier, but you know, don't fall in love with your darlings. Was it? Don't you have to learn to kill your darlings? Yes. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I had heard someone say once in, at a writing seminar about the idea of look at your most popular, your favorite scene, and throw it out. Right. And I was like, when I yeah. was writing my book, I had to, when I was writing my latest book, Change Your Story, Change Your Life, I turned it in stupidly, not recognizing that I went way over the word count. So I literally had to cut 25,000 words. It's so hard. it Boy, that's was painful. so hard. Like I was like, <laughs> like you guys, I had to cut interviews oh, yeah. and stories with people who I had taken. So I love what you did. I should have done that. I should have taken that chunk and made it interactive. Well, we didn't do it so. because we wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. You know, also... Um, no, but the yeah. fact that you didn't just let yeah. those go by the wayside, oh, no, you right. can get good. those. They were so, too good. Yeah. They were too good. I mean, if one's yeah. Dan O'Shannon, they are too good. So, oh, yeah, no, that's His was great. amazing. Yeah, that is great. Now, where can people get the book? Well, they could get it at Amazon. Great. They could get it at Barnes & Noble. The, right. Um, what, we would, what we would advise people to do is go to our website, which is showmethefunnyonline.com. Why don't you repeat that for the or, folks? Yes. Or <laughs> smtfo, smutfo.com. Um, don't laugh. You're just encouraging him. And not only <laughs> is there a link to Amazon and Barnes & Noble where they can order it easily, um, but we have about um, more than uh, probably about two thirds of the writers are now have a short five minute video clip of them. Oh, great! So you actually get to hear them doing their some of their very best in the interviews. So again, and that link. Show me the funny online, or the first letter of each one, smutfo s m t f o dot com. Great. And you can order from there. But again, you can get to watch these guys actually do their stuff. Oh, it's also available on the Nook. Oh, great. Yes. And now, and people can get in touch with you guys through the Absolutely. website. Absolutely. Absolutely. We have nothing to hide. Do you guys work with writers one-on-one? Uh, no. Uh, no, speaking? because I work with them um, at a university. Right. And, uh, yes, I get it. Uh, <laughs> so come, go to the university. But I will recommend them to you, Jen. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm grateful. Thank and, you very uh, much. Um, because uh, um, you know that sometimes that can be an exhausting. Yes. Oh yes, I do. Especially when yes. young people aren't listening to yes. you. Yes, 
Yeah. But I, I think I think one of the one of the benefits of teaching is that you probably learn more from them than you I would ever, totally agree. ever teach oh, them. Yeah. I always say I like to say that I am a teacher for a moment and a student for life. Absolutely. One, one of my one of my uh, major functions I think as a teacher is to and I've been thinking about this a lot in the last couple of years, is to increase this generation's frame of reference because they have a very, very narrow frame of reference. Right. Um, well, I liked how yeah. you threw out, yeah. hey, everybody, watch <laughs> right. Eileen. What was the? Oh, oh, my sister Eileen. My sister Eileen. Great. Yeah. Like when you uh, throw which out has been the... remade about yeah. nine or ten times. You know, I mean, the thing is, I was, uh, I was reading uh, somewhere recently that everybody steals from everybody and then mm-hmm. they make it their own. Yeah. I mean, there's Through nothing, your voice. you know. Yeah. Uh, Through so utilizing your voice. So you know, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I had a student come to me who was using it who said, you know, there was a time when the way you learned something was you apprenticed with somebody who was really good. Mm-hmm. And he said, I felt like I had 22 apprentices. Yeah. I went through and I got to watch each person and follow them around and watch them work. And yeah. That, that would have been on, in the book, Show Me the Funny. Yeah, that's I, what I'm oh, I, Okay, but you said it. <laughs> so. you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> a non-anaphoric pronoun. I'm so embarrassed. No, uh, all um, good. Yeah, we're told when we go to, uh, it's a little bit like... Uh, like Abbott and Costello. Right. Okay, go look them up too if you don't know who they are. <laughs> I, I did. I we named our. I my I got kittens recently and named them George and Gracie, and I mentioned that to some of my students. And I said, wait a minute. And I went over to YouTube and I showed them a, a Gracie. You know, George, George and Gracie, Gracie. Burns and Allen. Uh, oh, I love that. Because they need to know and yeah. they can use things. I mean, yeah. Big Bang is a is so influenced by yes. all the things that's come before. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And, that's, and it's important to yeah, go I mean, to the history uh, of yeah. what worked. Dick Van Dyke's yeah. mentor was mm-hmm. Stan Laurel. Mm-hmm. People don't remember that. Definitely. You know? Definitely. You know? Sometimes Jeffrey and I go out and talk about joke and comedy writing. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we point out is you were saying, what is it that some of these comedy writers all know? Tell them a joke. They can tell you the punch. They know all the old jokes. Right. And you can see them. When I watch a sitcom, I say, oh, they just switched that joke from that one. Right. Uh, yeah. You can see the history of it. Well, yeah, one, of, one, of, one of my most treasured memories of, about my dad is being in restaurants with him and people finding out he was a writer and coming up and telling him a joke and the look of pain on his face. <laughs> yes. Oh, it was as if he had just, you know, had a colonoscopy. Right. Uh, you know, oh, this joke again. Oh, how many times are they going to tell that? Jeffrey and I joke about saying it's kind of like going up to Placido Domingo and saying, oh, you know, I sing a little. Listen. Right, <laughs> right. I love it. Oh, you guys are great. Well, we try. Great. I love it. No, thank you. Thanks so much. And you are enormously good at this. Oh, thank yes, you. Are. So yes, easy you are. And so much fun. That's a so gift. Thank you, thank you mm-hmm. very much. I am grateful. So I want to thank Peter Desberg and Jeffrey Davis for joining us and giving us this incredible amount of valuable information. It has been great. This is Jen Grisanti of StoryWise Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. StoryWise is produced by Joel Metzger and Hot House Bruiser Productions. 
This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic. <laughs>